Get ready for the smartest bundle in streaming. Six streaming services for the intellectually curious. Featuring Curiosity Stream with the best collection of documentary films and TV shows. Psalm TV and great stories from the world of wine. Taste Made for the fun side of food and travel. Topic with the best thrillers and crime stories. And so much more. From nature to history, technology to food, mystery to adventure. Get six streaming services for one low price. And less than $6 a month, it's the best deal in streaming. Learn more and sign up now at smartbundle.com. I don't have anything to add this time. Transcribing my dad's entry is going to be hard enough. This is what my father wrote. We had a plan. We had the advantage of foresight. We thought that it was an advantage, anyway. I don't know how much of this you remember, how much of an impact it made on you. Kids are weird like that. You never know what'll stick. What part of what you say or what you do will be with them for life. I can only tell you what happened. I can only hope that you don't remember much of it. The first thing we did was split up. The article said that we were all found at home, all together. Your mother insisted on being alone. I told you that we were going on a trip, just us boys. You somehow seemed both excited and nervous at the same time. You could tell that we were nervous. You could tell that your mother was sad. You and I would go to a motel in another town. I was supposed to pick the place at random, somewhere your mother wouldn't know, and never tell her where it was. That was her idea. I was against it. I trusted her. Trusted that she wouldn't do what the article said she would. But because I trusted her, I did as she said. Your mother was going to another motel in another town. She told me the name and the place and how long she'd be there. This was so that I'd pick a place that was far away from hers. This was a mistake. You and I climbed in my truck and drove away from home. You kept looking back, kept trying to watch your mother as she was loading up her car. I kept reassuring you that nothing was going on, that we hadn't fought, that your mother had a business trip. I could tell that you didn't believe me. You were quiet, quieter than I'd ever seen you. You didn't point at anything out your window. You weren't telling me about a video game that your friends were playing. You just sat in your seat and looked dead ahead. Kids are like that. They can tell when something's wrong. They have a sixth sense for parental bullcrap and sugar-coated lies. You were the same way when your grandfather died. You could see that your mother had been crying. You could see the sadness beneath her smile. I tried making it up to you, but you could see through that too. We ate fast food. I took you to an arcade. We caught a movie or two. Through it all, you stayed quiet. I could almost see the invisible gears turning behind your eyes. You knew that something profound was happening, but it was just out of your reach, hidden behind parental authority and reassurances that everything was alright. We settled into a tiny motel. If everything went according to plan, you and I would stay there for one week and two days. Our reasoning was that the guess game had become real one week after we'd gotten its article. The two days was an extra precaution. Once the allotted time was up, We'd reunite at your grandmother's house and stay there for an extra week. We were cashing in on all the sick days and vacation days we had. We weren't taking any chances. The first night we stayed at the motel, I sat by the door and waited until midnight. There was no knock on our door. Whatever was delivering the paper, it hadn't followed us. We spent the rest of the week doing much of the same. We saw every movie in theaters, some of them twice. We ate at every restaurant in town. It was like being on a fake vacation. 
It was all hollow smiles and bribes in the form of ice cream and toys. It wasn't working. You looked about as miserable as I felt. Before I knew it, it was the day before the events of the article was meant to take place. I could barely sit still the entire day. I must have drunk around ten cups of coffee. The world seemed like a blurry funnel. People, places, and things seemed to be half there, only serving to spiral us closer and closer to that fateful day. It was late at night when they came. You were sleeping, finally crashing after a feast of fast food and caffeine. I was awake, flipping through the channels obsessively, and dreading the possibility of seeing you news on the television screen. I was just about to change the channel once more when it happened. Three knocks exploded across our motel room door. I bolted upright, the surprise setting off a chain of involuntary reactions like wired explosives. I shot you a quick glance. You were still lying in bed, still breathing slowly and regularly, still apparently oblivious to whatever had found us. I made my way to the door as quietly as I could, suddenly keenly aware of every sound I was making. It felt like my very breathing was loud. The beating of my heart was thunderous, the blood shooting through my veins like a raging river. I looked through the peephole. I could only see an empty hallway. The peephole was angled in such a way that looking at the floor in front of the door was impossible. So I opened the door. God help me, I opened the door. I pulled the door away and looked down. There was nothing on the patch of dirty rug in front of our door. No midnight paper. A man stepped into the open doorway. It took me a few moments to understand where he'd come from, but it soon dawned on me that he'd been standing on one side of the door, just waiting for me to open it. I almost chuckled. It was a move that you just didn't see outside of a prank between friends, but the man wasn't playing around. One look on his face, and I knew that he was dead serious. The man looked terrible. He was pale, covered in sweat, and appeared to be in pain. Every so often, a grimace would flicker across his face for a few seconds, as if standing up was hurting him somehow. None of that, however, was as disturbing as his eyes. They were cold, hyper-focused. Focused on me. A few explanations fired across my brain in less than a second. Maybe he was staying in one of the nearby rooms and needed help. Maybe I'd left my car running. Maybe I'd forgotten to put it in park and it had drifted across the parking lot and smashed it into his. No, none of that made any sense, because I knew who that man was. He lived on our street. He was our neighbor. His name was Chuck. What? I started to ask, but he cut me off. Get the kid, Chuck said. There was something in his voice that made that not a request, but a command. A command that was bordering on a threat. I looked down and I could see why. There was a gun in his hand. It was a revolver. The way his hand gripped the gun, almost like it was a living thing that might get loose, told me a lot. I'd seen enough people hold guns that way in Vietnam. There was a subtle fear in holding a weapon like that, like you have to do it but don't want to. There's subtle hate there too, for yourself and the person you're holding the gun for. There's only one thing that that fear and that hate told me. This man was following orders that he didn't agree with. All right, I said, holding my hands out. I wanted him to know that I wasn't a threat, that I wasn't armed, that my hands weren't going to shoot into my jacket or my pockets. The last thing I wanted was this asshole shooting me in front of you, 
I took a step back and the door started to swing shut. I held my breath, hoping that it'd close before Chuck had a chance to reach for it. But he stuck one foot out and caught it, pushing it away and holding it open. Damn. I took one step towards you and then stopped. I wasn't planning on going along with what he wanted. I'd rather die than put you in danger. So I did the only thing that I could think of at that time. I called his bluff. I froze, my hand still raised. What are you doing? Chuck asked, stepping into the room. Grab the kid. I didn't answer. Chuck took another step forward. You think I won't shoot you, right? He asked, taking one more step. You're wrong. I could almost feel the gun behind me now. Answer me, Chuck said. You think I'm playing around? You laughing at me? You were always so high and mighty. You and your stuck-up bitch of a wife. You don't know what we've been through. The barrel touched my back. That was all I needed. I turned around, grabbed Chuck's wrists, and forced his arm down. Now the gun was pointing at the floor. He started to struggle, to tense up, to try and force the gun upward. Just stop, I got out between gritted teeth. You don't have to do this. Yes, I do, Chuck said. He was out of shape and smaller than I was. I was able to walk ever so slightly toward the front door, pulling his gun arm and taking him with me as I went. With one last pull, I wrestled Chuck out of the motel room door and pinned him to the metal railing that separated the second floor hallway from the parking lot below. Please, Chuck whimpered. You've got to do as I say. Maybe things will go back to how they were before. I ignored him. I grabbed his wrist, yanking it up, and slammed his hand down on the edge of the metal railing. The barrel of the gun clinked against the metal. His hand was clamped around the gun, the skin practically fusing to the handle with the effort. Do you need help? It was a woman's voice. Soft, polite. It took me completely by surprise. All I could hear before it was Chuck's whimpering and the pounding of my heart in my head. Call the cops. I managed to get out in a strained mutter. Lifting Chuck's hand and slamming it down on the railing, might have gotten him to let go of the gun, but it was also dangerous. He could get a shot off that way, with his arm flailing around. I was going to have to pin his hand in place and hit the wrist with something heavy. Crack. Pain spread across the back of my head like wildfire. The world lurched, its edges blurring and darkening. My hands no longer listened to my commands. My legs felt like jelly. Before I knew it, I was on the floor looking up at the filthy motel ceiling. A woman stepped over me. She was smiling. I remembered thinking that that was weird, that I'd never smile if I were her, because her nose was missing. There was a gaping wound in its place, one that was dripping scarlet snot into her mouth. I don't know how, but I recognized her too. It was Chuck's wife. 